After three long weeks away, the igloo is back. And it's almost summer, which means TBT is coming up. I love covering TBT on this podcast. Obviously, covering Golden Eagles last year, a Marquette alumni team was a big deal covering them winning their first TBT title after losing in the title game a year ago. Now, I'm the coverage is going to expand this year. And joining me as part of my first the first part of this series of player interviews who will be participating in TBT this summer. He has ties to the new Big East, but his roots were in the old Big East as he played for the University of Pittsburgh from 2008 to 2012. His younger brother, you might know him, Sterling, former guest on the show, played at Seton Hall. And his other younger brother, TJ, had a great career at Notre Dame. Joining me uh, all the way from PA, uh, a New Jersey native, uh, and again, ties to the Big East, unlike a lot of other people, Ashton Gibbs, who will be representing America's Dream this summer at TBT. Ashton, good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. So l- let's just start off with the whole Gibbs family dynamic. I asked your brother what it was like growing up in that competitive household. Obviously, you being the oldest one between you, Sterling, and TJ, uh, what was it like just growing up and establishing that competitive nature and like the high standard that you guys set for each other, which was making it not just a division one, but being a part of a major division one program. Man, it was competitive. I mean, to say the least, to be honest. So like we, it, it, it came to a point where we were playing one-on-one so much and the fights, you know, were so consistent that, we had a family rule that we couldn't play one-on-one against each other right around when I was in high school. So, uh, so it was a big thing that, you know, uh, every day when somebody came home or we were playing outside one-on-one, they were end up in a fight. So that made the dinners like a little easier, I guess you could say. So it was no more fights after a while, uh, no more competing against each other. We were just making it happen against other, other guys. All right, now, uh, the story of you ending up at Pittsburgh. I mean, obviously, from your home in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, not that far, but, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh's on the other side of PA, but obviously on the East Coast. The Big East is and still is the king um, in terms of, you know, what's the most prominent conference on this side of the country. It's clearly the Big East. So what led you to the Big East and uh, with Jamie Dixon at Pitt? Uh, I just believe in the vision. I really like Coach Dixon overall. When uh, when he when he first came to uh, Pitt, and when he first came to Seton Hall Prep, I guess you could say to recruit me, he just you know told me told me the vision. He he wanted to defend, he wanted to rebound, but he was gonna let me play my game offensively. So within the structure um, of what I had at Seton Hall Prep, it was actually an easy transition because it was a lot of sets. Um, it was a hard, tough-nosed, you know, gritty team and just a half-court team that needed shooters. And, you know, it was it was just a perfect fit for me overall, not only on the court, but off the court. I thought the academics was really good as well. So um, it was just a great balance of athletics and academics. So coming into your freshman year at Pitt, how did you feel about the roster you were joining? Felt good. So going into it, I didn't know we were going to be that good, but – I knew we were going to be a good team when I first got there. And, man, you 
you talk about an elite eight run. We were top five in the country for most of the season. Um, but it was just the day-to-day practices that I thought really separated us. Um, you know, you talk about fights almost every day, guys competing. And you look back at it, that second group um, was basically my whole junior year team when we went, you know, uh, top five all year, my junior year. So the second group in my freshman year ended up being just almost just as good as that freshman freshman year team that I had. And that's how the practices were. Guys were chippy, had a chip on their shoulder, very hungry, just wanted to get on the court. So everybody was just competing every day in practice that the games became the easy part after a while. Who do you say was the chippiest guy that you had to deal with um, in practice? Uh, I mean, either from that 2009 team or later on. So Sam Young probably had the biggest effect on me personally because of his work ethic off the court. Um, You talk about a guy that was getting in the gym, you know, before practice, after practice, he would stay. He would come back at midnight. Um, It's a story that he, uh, at least when I, before I got there, that he would sleep in the locker room. Like he, he had a, uh, air mattress, you know, in the locker room. So just the his approach and the way he just, just his mindset overall, day in and day out, had the biggest effect on me, I think, my freshman year. And, you know, I was just basically trying to model my, my approach to the game to him. I mean, your freshman year, I mean, the Big East obviously was extreme. Like, I think 2011 was probably the best overall year of the conference, but 2009 was also just stacked because the Big East fielded three of the top four seeds in that year's NCAA tournament, but you guys included among also Louisville and UConn. Um, were you expecting the Big East to be that ferocious, you know, right out of the gates? Um, I, I kind of expected it. And the only reason why I say that is a lot of, a lot of the players in the Big East were some of the top players on the East coast in high school. So I knew what I was getting getting into in terms of the competitive nature, like from every team in the Big East. You know, you talk about Louisville's, the Yukon, Syracuse, Georgetown. Everybody had a big time guard, um, big time wing and a big time big. Like overall, uh, we were all playing against each other. Most of us, you know, throughout the AAU circuit in high school. So once I saw, you know, everybody kind of sticking in that Big East, I knew it was going to be competitive and that's what we did for years to come. So, I mean, obviously in the Big East tournament that year, it was a bit of a disappointment. You guys were a two seed, um, got knocked out by West Virginia, who, you know, kind of rode that momentum that they had gotten in, the, I think, the previous night when they won in the second round of the tournament. But uh, what, what, did it guys, what did it take for you guys to be able to shake off that disappointing loss and then, you know, essentially – like like men in black, you know, the memory eraser, you go straight to the head and just move move on to uh, the NCAA tournament where, you know, mow through the first two rounds and then coming one game away from the final four, going up against another Big East opponent and an in-state rival for that matter, Villanova. It was tough, man. Uh, that West Virginia game was definitely a wake-up call. Uh, at the same time, you know, playing – that was our third time playing Villanova. Uh, when we played them in the Elite Eight. So anytime, any, anytime you play a really good team that's that disciplined, you know, the more times you play them, it kind of evens out after a while. So uh, that's what it did at the end of the day. It was still a really good game. 
two hard-nosed teams, great guards. I thought Villanova with Scotty Reynolds and and that crew. Um, so at the end of the day, like the the team who had the ball last won the game. That's what it came down to. So you look back at it and you realize like a lot of those players are still playing professionally, whether overseas or in the NBA. You look at the talent level of it and then big time coaches as well and Jay Wright and Coach Dixon. So uh, it was a really, you know, great game. But overall, it just showed you how great the Big East was, I think, that year. So quick side note, what are your thoughts on Jay Wright being in the Hall of Fame? Or getting inducted for next season. Uh, he deserves it. He deserves it, man. He's a sharp guy, uh, but sharp mind as well. Like he gets his guys to play really hard day in and day out. And I think his culture is just something, you know, I I look at and I model, you know, what I'm gonna try to bring even now, me coaching at, you know, the Phelps School overall. I think that Villanova model is a model that anybody can take just because you talk about good guys on and off the court. Um, they handle themselves well, and they win with class. So, uh, Jay Wright, he definitely deserves it. Um, and, you know, I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him, for sure. Yeah, so um, I feel like losing Dewan Blair was a bit of a big blow for you guys moving into the 2010 season because, I mean, this guy was a consensus first-team All-American. And I think in the decade of the 2000s, I don't think there was ever a bruiser down low like Dewan Blair because I mean he was like a modern reincarnation of Charles Barkley I mean is that a fair assessment oh for sure this guy was an animal and if you think the games were you know great like you should you should have seen him in practice you know in terms of him competing every day every possession uh you know I, I'm glad I got to see it you know up close and personal but uh he ended up being the draft pick you talk about no ACLs and this guy's six six maybe, uh, for him to dominate like that is unbelievable. Yeah, and he, and he, hey, and he got himself a ring in the NBA too uh, with the Spurs in twenty fourteen, uh, with that uh, great team that ended the big three: uh, LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. Which I'm not going to go into that, but it was satisfying. Let me put it that way. Um, but in so in two thousand ten, would you say like there was a little bit of disappointment not getting to the second weekend and getting knocked out? Uh, by by the team that you had beaten in the Sweet 16 the year before, Xavier. Yeah, it was tough. That that was really tough. Um, more so because in the game, Jordan Crawford really, you know, he put it on us, honestly. Like, he's obviously a big-time player. But that's what we were game-planning around. And for him to really still get off after the game plan was to stop him, you know, that was the toughest part. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, they had a really good team. You look back at it, you know, two Holloway was a big time point guard, man. And, you know, Jordan Crawford, those guys, you know, play, they're playing high level overseas and, you know, Jordan played in the NBA for a while too. So you look back at it at the end of the day, those are two NBA point guards basically that we were playing against and we just had a tough time that day. So I guess what was the big, you know, focal point of why you guys were able to I mean, granted, 2010 was a good year, but you guys got back to that one seed level in 2011. Uh, what changed um, in that season for you guys to, you know, reclaim the top spot in the Big East? So the biggest thing I actually think that changed for us was that trip. We went we went on a summer tour to Ireland that year, right before that 2011 season. And it was just an opportunity for all of us to, you know, just build a bond off the court. So we were with each other all day, every day off the court. 
Um, and then on the court, we were playing against high level Irish teams. We played against the Irish national team. Uh, we played against, a couple, I think, a team from Australia. So we were playing against pro pro level teams in the summer. So once the actual season started, everybody was such on one accord just from our summer habits, you know, in practice and then in the game as well. So, I mean, I, I can't not bring this up. 2011 Big East quarterfinals versus Connecticut. Um, final sequence of the game. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't think you were on on Kemba or, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're away from the ball. But you watch that final sequence go down. And, I mean, I don't think I really need to fill in the blanks much, but. Kemba hits the game winner with um, at your at your teammate Gary McGee's ex- expense. Uh, what did you personally see, and was it one of those buzzer beaters where you can't you, you gotta just gotta like tip your head and be like, oh, okay, he, I can't knock that. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it was Kemba being Kemba. That was a legendary. That was a legendary year for him. That kind of you know set him up for life I feel like like that was just a time where he had it going um at that time you know UConn was just you know on the run but defensively the game plan we were kind of hedging the ball screen almost every play um you know during that game and then I remember being in being in the huddle you know we just we asked each other if we wanted to hedge or just switch would it make you know would it make everything a lot easier and we just went with it we trusted gary at the end of the day gary's a 611 uh post guy that you know it just wasn't his matchup not against you know the, one of the best guards in the country that year so even though even though it was a tough loss it was a collective loss because that final decision came down it was a team decision and you know kimba got the best of us like were you like when you saw that switch and you see Gary on Kemba, were you just kind of like thinking what a lot of Pitt fans were thinking? Like, uh-oh. Yeah, it was it was 50-50 because I actually thought Gary was a big time defender overall. I think that was that was still is his best trait, is being able to guard perimeter guys along with post players. So I kind of trusted him, 50% trusted him. The other 50 was thinking like that is Kemba right there. So I just, you know, it didn't work out for us that day. <laughs> yeah, so uh, fast forward a week, uh, second round of the NCAA tournament in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, you guys get Butler, and uh, it must be something during those two years, 2010 and 2011 with Brad Stevens, where he was just able to get these Butler teams, you know, horizonally, mid-major, and just take them – all the way, you know, we went to the title game in 2010 and then 2011, you know, I think that was the toughest test getting by you guys at Pitt. Um, but, you know, it literally came down to free throws. Uh, what do you remember from, um, and, it, and it went to overtime. Am I right on that? No, it was in regulation. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So what do you remember from that uh, final sequence that led to uh, the game winning free throws? Uh, it was a lot. Cause I didn't, I didn't play particularly well that game. So I was just thinking of being able to get the ball back and get an open look me personally, because mentally, like I just, I don't know. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't my best shooting game overall. So put it like this. I, I don't think anybody expected the game to end like that when, uh, you know, it was a tough foul Nas. So our team, so my teammate, Nasir Robinson, he got, 
you know, he fouled Matt Howard at the end of the game uh, with, what, less than one second left. Right, yep. Understand, you know, the time scoring possession. So uh, the way we ended it, I don't think anybody, you know, would have guessed it that way. I just kind of thought the game was going to overtime. I thought Gil was going to hit the shot, um, but at least go to overtime. And it was just one of those games where, man, it came down to discipline. It was a tough game overall. But Butler, they kind of we were we we're two very similar teams because we both gritty, slow the ball down, um, good decision makers on both ends. So that's the team I actually didn't want to see. And but at the end of the day, they went to they all they went to the national championship. So it uh, ended up not being too bad of a loss at that time. Yeah, the funny thing is it literally took a miracle for them to even get to you guys, uh, literally with uh, Matt Howard finding just magically finding the ball and hoisting up the game-winning layup, layup to beat Old Dominion in the round before. So had that not happened, who knows what would uh, – you, know, you guys could have possibly made it, to, made it to the Final Four and taken Butler's spot. Uh, that was a tough region, though, because, uh, I mean, you had Jimmermania on the bottom half of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So – I mean, Jimmer was big time, man. He talked about big time shooter. So he, he carried that whole team, I feel like, throughout that whole season. Yeah, so so in 2012, when obviously at this point, Pitt basketball making the exit, making the tournament, that's an expectation, not just a goal. Uh, so in 2012, uh, what exactly went wrong for you guys going from top of the top of the mountain in the Big East all the way to being one of the bottom four in the entire league? Yeah, so it was tough. It was We had a lot of different scenarios. So I, I got injured. I, I ended up hurting my ankle that year um, early in the season as well. Um, so I kind of wasn't there, you know, health-wise. And then Trey Woodall got injured, and I ended up having to, you know, play more of a point guard role for the team, which I wasn't particularly comfortable with at that at that time so it mixed with injuries and then Kim Birch ended up leaving in the middle of the season so um it was just one of those transfers that obviously he's in the NBA right now so it, that was a huge you know time to transfer uh, for our team in the middle of the season then we went on a somewhat of a losing streak right after that because I feel like right around that time that he left that Kim left it was around the time where I thought we were going to peak as a team. Um, everybody was just starting to get adjusted and get used to everybody being around, how they like the ball, uh, defensive concepts overall for the young guys. So everybody was just really getting, you know, becoming on one accord. And then he left, and then that kind of changed the whole trajectory of the season. So uh, through injuries, through the transfer, it was just a tough season overall that we still got through winning the CBI was, isn't a bad, you know, bad situation to be in at the end of it. Yeah. And uh, during uh, that run, you know, you guys got to go to Hinkle Fieldhouse and get revenge on Butler from the year before. Um, and we were talking about this before, you know, how crazy is it that until December of 2020, you guys were the last non-conference opponent to beat Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. So, but that's, I mean, that's monumental. I feel like because of the level of success Butler has had throughout the years. So um, that speaks on coach Dixon's, I think 
success as well. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in college basketball right now. So, um, yeah, Butler, just big-time program, great culture, uh, great coaches, obviously. And uh, I, I really don't even feel bad about the losses because you look back at it and you just realize, like, those were great teams that we lost to. Yeah, so it, obviously moving on, you know, obviously you're doing your own thing professionally in the years to follow, but uh, Sterling, your younger brother, uh, finds his way into the Big East, but obviously in the new look Big East. Um, and in that first year of the new Big East, Sterling becomes a part of that Big East lore when he hits the buzzer beater for eighth seed Seton Hall to beat a top three Villanova team, the number one seed in the Big East tournament, uh, adding to, you know, the aura of the Big East tournament and Madison Square Garden and the whole nine yards of that. What was it like watching him essentially, you know, obviously you participated in the Big East, but to watch him etch his name in Big East lore that day? Oh, obviously I was so proud of him, him being a younger brother. Um, the other part of me, I, I kind of expected it. And the only reason why is just I, I saw the work day in and day out that he was putting in. Um, and I know his talent level. Like, you talk about talent. Like, Sterling should be an NBA right now to me. I thought he was an NBA guy in college. Like, that's the mindset he has on the court. I think he's a killer. So, overall, you know, I, I really wasn't even surprised that he was doing that in the Big East. So, um, his talent level, his work ethic, and then – the system that I thought Kevin Willard put in for him and, and the team overall, like was a great way for them to succeed. And he ended up, you know, definitely proven, proving his worth and uh, seeing all did really well that year. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, obviously, um, so, so Seton Hall, they ended up, you know, after Sterling left for UConn, um, they end up making the NCAA tournament uh, for the first time in a decade, which I know Sterling was trying to push for that. Uh, leading that young Seton Hall team in 2015. Uh, I mean, uh, there were a lot of issues, you know, with difficulty getting the the rotation readjusted with, uh, you know, guys coming back and certain guys leaving midseason. I'm not going to really name drop, but, you know, uh, for those that are interested and want Sterling to get Sterling's thoughts on what happened that year, um, make sure you check out uh, that episode with him. Um, in the archives, but uh, for him, then to, for, to watch him go to Connecticut, a former Big East rival of yours, but now in the AAC, uh, for him uh, to watch him get back to the NCAA tournament and leading a UConn team that un heading into that tournament needed basically to win the whole thing to get in. Uh, what was it like watching um, Sterling find that success in his grad year? At his third school, and by, I have to ask you also, I really hope you saw that bananas game that he had against Cincinnati in the quarterfinals. I really hope you did. Yeah, no, I saw it. I saw it. He was, shoot, he was shooting it at a high level, man. But, you know, it took some while to get, getting adjusted to because you go, you know, obviously I had a lot of uh, a lot of battles with UConn overall. So, like, at the end of the day, he's still my brother. So I was supporting him from afar, but – it was weird just seeing him in the Connecticut jersey. So, uh, but I thought he had a really good season with with UConn, especially that year. Um, guys were still getting adjusted to each other, and that's the tough part about being a grad transfer. Is half, most halfway through the season, you're just getting adjusted to how guys play the game, you know. So, 
in the scheme of things, you only have a few months to really get everything adjusted and um, everybody's just on one accord playing wise. So for the times and the short, the short period of span in general to be with those guys, I thought he would did really well. He averaged about 12, 13 points, a few assists and they won, you know, they won at a high level. Like, so at the end of the day, I mean, they're winners. He's a winner. Um, I thought he did really well this season. Yeah. And uh, TJ, uh, the youngest, he, he ended up at another former Big East rival of yours now in the ACC, the University of Notre Dame. Um, would you say it was weirder to see Sterling in a UConn jersey or Seton Hall for that matter, even though Pitt and Seton Hall really didn't have that much of a rivalry or TJ in a Notre Dame jersey? So probably Sterling in the UConn jersey, to be honest, just because I was a pit guy, Big East when I was there. And then Sterling went to Seton Hall, which is in the Big East too. So to see UConn in the AAC as well, not playing against the Georgetowns, the Syracuse, the Pittsburghs was just, I thought that was weird in itself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good that they're back in the big East now, because I mean, if you're a UConn fan, who would you rather, I mean, I, even though it's not that much of an upgrade, I'd rather be playing games against DePaul than Tulane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like going to like, like East Carolina and you yeah, like, I mean, you want to like, Going to Omaha, I I would much rather take that than a trip to Greenville, North Carolina. Like, give me that 24-7, 365. Um, but, like, now that – is it kind of weird now that now all three of you guys are officially, you know, out of college and, you know, doing your own things, you know, still involved in the game of basketball in some way? Yeah, it's weird, man, just – it's crazy. I was at an AAU tournament a couple weeks ago, and I just remember it. It's, it feels like it was yesterday, just, you know, going to AAU tournaments and, you know, just the basketball playing every single day. So now that I'm on a coaching end, it's definitely an adjustment, but, you know, I'm happy doing it. Um, I look back at it like, man, I had definitely a heck of a journey in terms of the players I got to play against, the players I played with. Um just playing, playing at a high level is such a blessing overall. You don't realize how many kids are trying to do it, uh, you know, season by season just to get a D1 scholarship. So I think all three of us are blessed. We we put in the work. Um, it paid off for us. And, you know, on to bigger and better things now. So regarding you and your budding coaching career, have you reached out to any of your former coaches at Pitt for any advice? Oh, for sure. I still talk to Coach Dixon. Uh, I talk to Brandon Knight all the time. Um, Coach Pat Sandal just reached out to me as well. Coach Scary, like all, all of those guys. I still talk to everybody. I think that's the best part about, you know, that was the best part about our pit teams is everybody was really close, not only on the court, but off the court as well, even with the coaches. Like I was really, you know, close with the head coach, with Dixon, and then uh, built great relationships with the assistants also. So, I mean, obviously you're going to, you have delved into coaching, but, you know, I know you're, you know, you're in your thirties now, but you know, you, you know, in, in your heart, you can still ball. And that's why you're testing it out this summer with America's dream at TBT. Um, I guess uh, the question I have is, uh, you know, how that came to be with, uh, you know, getting set up with, um, 
you know, the team GM, Andrew Manis and, uh, you know, Marlon Guild, the coach, and also just uh, helping uh, not, not just joining the team, but help helping put it together uh, in a way too. Yeah. So it's a really good opportunity. So Tom Keller, Andrew Manis, they both came to me just asking if I would, you know, look at the idea of playing and being a player coach on the team. And that's basically, you know, what I do. I obviously still could play, um, but I'm on the coaching end as well. So uh, we're going to go out there. I think we got a really good squad from top to bottom. I think uh, we'll compete. we got a lot of guys that are hungry, uh, defensive base that have motors. So, and I think we'll be able to shoot the ball at a high clip too. So uh, you talk about, from the coaching staff to the players, I think we could really make a run just because of everybody just being gritty, being uh, just having a chip on their shoulder. I think it'll be a good summer. As as one of the older guys on the team now, you know, how do you personally view what you think your role is going to be with the squad? Uh, so when they need me to play, I'm going to play. I'm going to play to my best ability, compete. Um, that's what I do. And, you know, try to make shots at a high, high level. Um, and then, you know, when, we need to be coached. Uh, I'm going to do my best in terms of just being a leader, not only on the court, but off as well now. So this is something that I prided myself on when I was, you know, 100% playing. So it kind of comes natural to me, just being a leader, being, um, you know, just talking, talking a lot. you got to do that as a point guard. So it's a natural, you know, it's a part of my natural personality. I just got to continue uh, you know, given, I don't know if you watched TBT at all last year, or even the couple of years before that, but do you think watching Travis Diener doing what he's done over the past few years, give you even more hope that you could perform at that high of a level or maybe even higher? Yeah, no, for sure. I saw it last year and man, he shot the ball. He shot the ball really well. And he was a key piece for them. Um, really key piece. And you could just tell, that they respected him, you know, whenever he was talking to anyone, everybody was really, you know, locked in on what he was actually saying. So um, that's the piece, you know, I hope to bring to America's dream. I think we have a good team. I'm going to try to, you know, be my best in terms of leading and not only on the court, but off. So um, another thing I got to ask you, because um, obviously in the future, I'm currently working on uh, getting, uh, one of your America's Dream teammates and a guy I went to school with Ishmael Sonogo um, on the squad. I know when you were watching Sterling at Seton Hall, I know Ish didn't get a lot of court time when Sterling was there. But I mean, afterwards, I mean, Ish grew into a guy that developed a really pro style repertoire of skills, not only being good, at, good on defense, but developing a three point shot later on in his career as well. Um, obviously didn't really see much of him when Sterling, when your brother was playing with him, but, um, I got to ask because he is a new big East guy and a scene hall guy. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on him and, um, what, what he can bring to the table, you know, potentially, you know, leading, you know, obviously into the tournament, maybe win a couple games. Yeah. So. I, I always loved Ish's game. I saw him a little bit, you know, when I would go to practices when Sterling was there. So I could just tell by his work ethic, his approach to the game, that he, I knew he was going to eventually be a good player. So once once he got that opportunity, I think it was the next year after Sterling left, he took advantage of it. So year by year, he's just been excelling, really getting better, you know, um, working on his craft, I could tell. 
especially when he, you know, he got that three-point shot consistent. So that was a huge thing. That was a huge uh, aspect to his game that helped develop him into a really good pro. So I'm looking forward to playing with him, and uh, I think he'll be a great piece for us with America's Dream. Yeah, and uh, any other teammates in particular that you can think of off the top of your head that you're kind of stoked to play with? So Bailey Steele was a really good player for us here at Duquesne, actually. Um, you know, seven-footer that can shoot threes, uh, big body, can rebound the ball. He's easy to play with with a, with a guard. So he can, you know, basically shoot threes with the best of them, but he can rebound. So for a guard, that's, that's huge, especially in a pick-and-roll opportunities and then Dustin Sleva uh, will be a really good player for us as well he's a pick and pop four man that plays overseas in France and he's athletic he can shoot the three he makes really good decisions um, good playmaker so he'll be easy to play with as well both of those guys I think will have a, a, a big there'll be a big reason why we win a lot of games if we do all right so before I let you go um uh I got to ask, so I got to ask you now, you know, obviously you guys won't be together as a team for another few weeks, uh, but what's your personal preparation uh, process been like uh, to get yourself ready, uh, not only for this tournament, but to actually, you know, be playing um, and practicing with your teammates in a few weeks that, you know, I heard a few things about uh, you guys holding a training camp uh, down the Garden State um, in sometime in June. Yeah, so just making sure I'm ready in terms of lifting, running, uh, skill work. Um, you know, it's the same routine that I used to have. It's nothing different, nothing that changed. Starting starting with the basics, simple stuff, just lifting, running, shooting every day, and kind of letting the chips fall where they do. All right. Well, super stoked to see another new team in TBT now that uh, last year it was obviously abbreviated due to COVID, only 24 teams, but back up to 64 like usual this year and one of the new kids on the block in tbt will be america's dream featuring none other uh than ashton gibbs um ashton thanks for the time reflecting on your career at Pitt. obviously watching sterling do his thing at seton hall and of course um the team you're going to be representing uh, for a very good fundamental cause um this summer at TBT, uh, I believe it's going to start in July. Uh, so be on the lookout for that regarding when they're going to be playing and where they'll be. Um, I'll post more info on my Twitter, Instagram, wherever. Uh, trust me, you'll be able to find it there. Ashton, thanks again for the time. Um, Appreciate be, it. Yeah, be safe be safe and well. And uh, hopefully I'll see you at a, at a training camp in June. And I'll be watching – uh, very intently when uh, you guys take the court um, this summer at, uh, at TBC. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Warren the Igloo, new off-season news refresher. It's been a long time. That's coming up after this. Welcome back inside the Igloo, y'all. It's been a long time. It's been three weeks. And the funny thing is, even though a lot of time has gone by, not a lot has happened. But let me get you caught up on some of the major headlines. So, obviously the biggest one happened last week. Last weekend was Hall of Fame induction weekend for the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, the po posthumous induction of uh, the late, great Kobe Bryant. And then some other major inductions. Uh, two uh, other amazing players from that generation of players. Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, 
they were inducted into the Hall of Fame. And a day after the induction ceremony, the class of 2021 was announced. A lot of big names, including Paul Pierce, Chris Bosh, on the player side. But aside from that, a couple of names in the Big East will be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Two of them. Jay Wright, the head coach of Villanova, who has turned that program into a national powerhouse, and Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman. And both of them are so rightfully deserving of this tremendous distinction. Genuinely, they earned this, they deserve this, and uh, honestly, I couldn't be more happy for the both of them. I mean, you look at the bodies of work for the both of them. Let's start with Jay Wright. This guy has won, I believe, near. he's approaching the 600 win marker, has eclipsed the 600 win mark. As a college basketball head coach. He got his start at Hofstra. And then arrived at Villanova 20 years ago. It was tough sledding at first. But since the 2004-2005 season. When he led Nova to the tournament for the first time. And I believe it was six years at the time. Took him to the Sweet 16 and then to the Big East regular season championship, sharing the regular season title with UConn and making it as a one seed in the NCAA tournament that year. And then, of course, making a Final Four run in 2009. You know, as I talked about a little bit, uh, beating Ashton Gibbs in Pittsburgh at TD Garden in Boston uh, to make it to the Final Four for the first time since they won it all back in 1985. And then, of course, we all know what they've done since the new Big East came to be. They have dominated the league. They've won the re- at least a share of the regular season title in all but one season in the last eight seasons. Not to mention, they have a pair of national championships to their name. And, all the- and credit to GQJ, because it takes a damn good head coach to win a national championship. Just saying. And then with Commissioner Val Ackerman, I mean, a lot of people don't know Val's story. So let me fill you in a little bit. For those of you that don't know, 25 years ago, Val Ackerman was the first commissioner in the history of the WNBA. She was a trusted liaison, if that's the right wording, of the late David Stern, who had a very good run as NBA commissioner. Uh, she was a trusted ally of his, you know, in the NBA front office in the early 1990s when the league really started to take off even to bigger heights, you know, with Michael Jordan beginning the first three-peat. And then, 
He he trusted Val enough to become the first commissioner of the WNBA, and 25 years later, that league is still standing. And granted, it hasn't seen quite the expansion that a lot of other leagues would see. But you just think about the high level of talent that comes in, you know, across the women's game, you know. It's been able to find stars in intervals, you know. You have established stars like Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, and then you have budding stars like Brianna Stewart and Sabrina Ionescu. That just shows how good the league is. And who laid the foundation for it? Val Ackerman. She's a trailblazer and she earned her spot in the Hall of Fame. So congrats to GQJ and the commish, Val Ackerman. Uh, Hopefully I'll be able to get Val on this summer on the Igloo uh, to talk about her upcoming induction as well as the Big East year in review. Which I think would be a good idea, you know, right before the start of my TBT coverage uh, in July when that starts up. Right now, it's kind of in the pre-tournament stage, so that's kind of where it's at right now. And, you know, this episode, starting with the Sterling Gibbs, uh, Ashton Gibbs interview, only the beginning of the lead-up coverage. And then, also, I do want to make a bit of a correction that... Shout out to Alan Bukowski for reaching out and sending me this correction. Butler actually has pretty much all of the seniors from last year's team, which include Aaron Thompson, Bryce Enzi, and Jair Bolden. They will be on next year's roster. So Butler, that extra year of eligibility does help them because all three of those guys that have it they are back. Well, the, the ones that actually played. So that leadership might help Butler as they become a year older and a year wiser with, you know, those upcoming freshmen, you know, that are going to be now sophomores. Chuck Harris, Miles Tate. That's going to be extremely helpful to them to have an extra year under those guys' wing. And who knows, they might take that kind of leap that a team like Seton Hall made in 2016. Maybe the kind of leap that a team like Creighton made in 2020. Hey, you never know. And then, in other news, Jamarco Pickett, he's staying in the NBA draft, which... I mean, I kind of figured that he wasn't coming back. But, I mean, you know, I have to congratulate him. You know, he had a really good career at Georgetown. And, of course, it culminated in leading the Hoyas, helping lead the Hoyas to an improbable run to the Big East title, their first since 2007, and their first NCAA tournament appearance is 2015, albeit they ended up losing in the first round to Colorado. But still a season that the university and the program and the fan base can be proud of. And hopefully, even without Pickett and Blair, 
And without the transfer in Kudus Wahab, this team could still find a way to build off of that next season and beyond. Especially with that really good incoming freshman class they got. And then finally, Bryce Aiken is coming back to Seton Hall. You know, this was a move that surprised me a little bit. I mean, this will be his sixth year total. And given that you still have Kadari, now that you have Kadari Richmond and Jameer Harris, and a really, and another really good freshman guard coming in, for me, didn't really make sense for Aiken to come back, but whatever you can get out of him at this point, I feel like it's an added bonus. So Bryce is back, and I feel like maybe on his end, there has to be some aspect of unfinished business considering, you know, he missed a lot of last season due to injury. And he also, for lack of a better word, kind of embarrassed himself at the end of last season with the whole I never miss comment before clanking two free throws against UConn on senior night, March 3rd. Seems like a century ago at this rate, but time's flying, I guess. But maybe there was that sort of redemption need for him uh, to be able to do that, so... Hey, I, I understand the reasoning, and I just hope that he'll be able to make the most of that extra year of eligibility uh, granted to seniors like Aiken, as well as, you know, Nate Watson, Noah Horkler, the aforementioned Thompson and Enzi from Butler. And and also, I mean, of course, with Villanova, Gillespie and Samuels, Scruggs and Johnson from Xavier. You know, this goes on and on. So, you know, I really do genuinely believe that, you know, Bryce has it in him to redeem himself from that and to actually close his college career on a high note and hopefully play the entire season healthy, which he really has only done that once in his college career, and he did that at Harvard. And not to mention, I mean, he's a Jersey kid. He wants to be able to go out in style in his own state and do it on his own terms. So at the end of the day, you can't knock that. You can't blame him. So that is a wrap on this episode of the Igloo. TBD on the next episode, probably after Memorial Day. Going to take a little road trip uh, this coming week. Going to visit my brother down in Virginia, help him move out of his apartment in Charlottesville, where the University of Virginia happens to be. But I'll be vi- I'll be there, and then ironically enough, I'm going to be in Pittsburgh uh, to catch a ball game at PNC Park, which will be ballpark number twelve for me uh, on Wednesday night. So you know, if you're listening, if you're in the area, if you're in Pittsburgh and you're at the game, give me a holler. But I'll tell you what, it's going to feel so good to be back in a ballpark. I actually didn't go to a game all 2019, so last ball game I went to was in. 2018. Actually, no, wait, did I go to a ball game in 2019? I think I went to a minor league game in 2019 to see a friend of mine in the Pirates organization, strangely enough, um, out about an hour and a half west of me in uh, Auburn. 
I feel like if I talk about that any further, it's a real side note. But, you know, I digress. But, yeah, so Memorial Day weekend, pretty much a long, lengthy road trip for me. But, Hey, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to it and, you know, some well-needed me time, you know, I, I guess I kind of took that during my three-week hiatus, but, but I just think this trip is going to be true me time and also important family time, you know, being with my parents and also, uh, with my brother too, who I don't really get to see often, uh, although he's going to be moving <laughs> Back home with us, so I'm going to be seeing a lot more of him once that move becomes final. So, until next time, whenever that may be, which probably is going to end up being another uh, TBT uh, player interview. Uh, Hopefully, we're looking to get Ishmael Sonogo, who is also on America's Dream, and a Seen Hall alum and a very good friend of mine from the Hall. Hopefully, he'll be on the next episode. I'll let you guys know when that's coming up. So, until then, this is Timmy I signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe out there. I'll catch you next time. I don't know why I took that long pause, but... Again, thanks for tuning in. If, if I don't have this uploaded by Memorial Day, enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. I hope m- most of my listeners out there are fully vaccinated uh, because, you know... That'll just open the door for y'all to be able to finally, you know, get back to normalcy and reconvene with your family, your friends, your loved ones. Uh, And I know Memorial Day weekend, you know, the unofficial start of summer is a really good time and place to do that. So, you know, if that's what you do plan to do, hey, just make sure you're safe and all, all will be well. But make sure you stay safe out there. And again, I'll catch you next time. Happy Memorial Day, everybody.